Hi, I'm Steve Goldstein, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. There were about 1.5 million ballots cast in this election, and turnout was 35%. This is a 20% increase from the 2018 midterm election and a 66% increase from the 2014 midterm election. The people doing the videotaping are the the most problematic. Many of them uh, have a political agenda and they purposely get close to be in the face of the cop. Whereas individuals who are just walking by, uh, you know, they aren't doing that. You know, that's part of natural everyday encounters on the street. The rules that we followed were the ones that the legislature ordered the Secretary of State to write and then the governor specifically signed off on. So we did what they told us to do. Now with us to talk about some initiatives officially making the November ballot, whether some Republican nominees can successfully shift to the middle and more, are Don Penich Thacker of Agave Strategy. Don, welcome back. Thank you. And Doug Cole of Highground. Doug, good to see you. Good morning. So, Doug, I'm going to start with you on the the initiative that many people are calling the Terry Goddard Initiative, because I know some friends and colleagues of yours have worked on this. So the Voters' Right to Know Act, the fact that that is actually going to make the ballot, how significant? And is this one that the messaging against it is going to be so hard, or will voters actually get to know more about donors' information? Well, it's been a long road for for Terry Goddard's group. And it, this is this is commonly referred to as the Dark Money Initiative, the uh, to to shed some light on on where these large anonymous donors are coming from. And uh, Terry's been at this for years, and this is, this is round four, and, and as of yesterday, uh, night before last, the Supreme Court said he's good to go. So, you know, polling historically, Steve, has shown that this initiative, it would, it would, if it made it on the ballot, would be very popular with voters. I don't, I don't see how anything has changed in this environment. People, people get that everybody has a free speech right, your First Amendment right, you know, to, to support who you want to support. But people want to know, you know, who, who, who is the wizard behind the curtain? You know, we can all go back to, you know, Wizard of Oz and pull the curtain back and who's that guy pulling, pulling the levers? And, 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 and then the initiative does not go overboard. It still allows for a certain amount of donations that don't need to be reported. But for these big last minute or, or sustained uh, donations that go on in, in modern American campaigns, there's going to have to be a little, little bit of uh, sunshine, sunshine uh, in the room so people know who is actually uh, making, making these large donations and they can make their judgments whether they agree with them or not. Yeah. Don, how significant is it that this is going to be on the ballot that voters actually have a chance to weigh in on what, what sort of information they want to know? I mean, this is huge. When I heard this news, it was like Christmas, birthday and graduation all happening on the same time, um, you know. People have been working on these petitions for years. My own mother-in-law, I called her. She's the first person I called to congratulate. Um, You know, these are measures that are incredibly popular, and they are the embodiment of what the Arizona founders meant when they said that the people should be able to propose their own laws. That is exactly what has finally happened after so many obstacles. And so it's just, it's a huge win for Arizona. Don, is this the kind of initiative on the ballot that could potentially drive turnout and maybe get folks who wouldn't ordinarily have voted or maybe ordinarily wouldn't have voted a particular way to the ballot? Yeah, I think if these were on there alone and we didn't have the, you know, the abortion question on in so many races, then maybe it would be nominal. But on top of, you know, reproductive rights, 
this is just going to give people even more reason to get out there, even if they're not feeling incredibly motivated, maybe by some of their legislative choices or or lower down the ballot if they don't feel as confident. These are the kind of measures that are like, heck yeah, I'm going. Doug, what do you think? I mean, is this the kind of thing that, that might drive additional turnout? Well, I, I think that, that there is um, a segment of, of the voting populace that, yes, that this is very important to them. Um, but there are, you know, we have a lot of really high volume races, you know, from U.S. Senate to, to governor to secretary of state all the way down. Uh, there is just a lot of volume out there. But I, but I, um, I think that that the it will be successful. All the polling, all the polling shows that. But I don't think it's going to be. I got to show up today to vote for and for the anti dark money um, uh, proposition. Doug, how easy or difficult is the messaging on this one for people who support it? Is it just to say, "Hey, you want more information, don't you?" Yeah, it's it's, it's just about transparency. If you if if the if the pro campaign just sticks to transparency, look, we're not we're not saying you can't donate. We're just saying over these thresholds and in this time frame, you got to let people know uh, who is making these donations, and then and then the voters uh, can judge that. Now, you know, some of the major don- major organizations such as the Free Enterprise Club, uh, Americans for Prosperity, the Goldwater Institute, you know, they, they, they are, you know, it can be argued because we really don't know <laughs> in, in today's, in, in the uh, legal environment now, whether they are large, large dark money donors, one has to assume because they've been fighting this for four different rounds. Don, how organized and I guess vociferous in opposition to this measure do you expect? Oh, aggressive. Um, You know, there's a reason that this has been squashed one way or another in the courts or in signature verification. So I think these are going to be big fights. And everyone has known that all along. It's not a surprise. But um, like Doug was just saying, the messaging around these is so tough. I mean, what's the winning message about not having transparency? What's the winning message about being able to bankrupt and make homeless people who went through a medical um, you know, catastrophe? So it'll be a battle, but I think people are ready to vote yes on these. So Don, how significant was it that these these made it on the ballot? We'll see about free and fair elections. But with Save Our Schools, which you were heavily involved in, there was a passion for people wanting to sign these things, and yet the effort took so many people to do this. Briefly describe for us when it comes to trying to get an initiative, any sort of initiative on the Arizona ballot, the challenges that come with that. Oh, it's just grueling. Um, you know, usually this is happening in the dead of summer, so you're getting rained on. It's sticky. People don't want to stop because they want to just get into that, you know, that bookstore, that grocery store and get home. Um, and Thank you for speaking to public radio listeners with bookstore first. Though. Absolutely. <laughs> I am an English professor, right? It has to happen. <laughs> um, so it's just it's grueling work. And in the case of some of these, this has been going on for years. And then you finally do collect all those signatures and then it goes into that verification process, but then the lawsuits start. And then, you know, these big opposition groups, dark money groups come in and squash it. It's just such a challenge. And that's why I think that, you know, the the advocacy community, the grassroots community is just so emboldened and gratified by this. Remember um, when Arizona became a state uh, back in 1912, um, the initiative referendum process was was a key component of our constitution, but in modern in modern uh, politics and legislative history, there's been a chip away on 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 putting up barriers to how you get on the ballot. 
I mean, we went from a substantial compliance uh, standard to now a strict compliance standard. And that's what, what these in the last six, four to six years, uh, that, 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 had, that part of the law has changed by the legislature and, and, and has allowed these groups to come in and rely on the strict compliance of law. And as we saw day before yesterday with the Supreme Court ruling, they said, yeah, they, they agreed with, with uh, what Corey Langhofer was arguing for, for the groups that were challenged these things and said, yeah, uh, the, the, the petition uh, signers needed to have an affidavit for each initiative that they were signing. But uh, the, the voter, uh, the, the elections guide and the Secretary of State's uh, web portal did not allow it. So even though the law says you needed to do that, they couldn't, they couldn't functionally do it, so we're going to allow it. So, you know, we, we are always going to be dancing on the head of a pin with strict compliance with the law. Doug, does that become an issue at all in November? Do you think that, you know, could it be a problem for, for Katie Hobbs running for governor now as Secretary of State that, you know, the portal that her office oversees did not allow for, you know, signature gatherers to comply with the law? Or does this become an issue for the governor in some capacity that the elections procedure manual that he signed off on, you know, didn't require this? Well, the, you are accurate in saying that the governor did sign off on this, and, and so did the Secretary of State, and the Attorney General had to approve it. That's the way Arizona law works. But there are, Mark, I, in this election cycle with all the issues going on, I think that, uh, that it's, it, that's just going to be a, some background noise of, of for the Secretary of State and her gubernatorial bid. You're not suggesting that the minutia of election law will be a major <laughs> election well, issue here? I am absolutely certain that you and Steve will be talking about it on, on here on public radio, but I don't think it'll be talked about at the ballot box. Now, we talk about it at lunch, at breakfast, right. we talk about it at <laughs> all day long. Don, you uh, alluded to the other initiative that we know is going to be on the ballot uh, that caps medical debt payments. And it's interesting because pretty much everything you read about this initiative is that it's not getting as much attention as the, the anti-so-called uh, dark money initiative, the Arizonans for Free and Fair Elections. For supporters of of this proposal, because it's a little more complicated, I think, to explain the details of what it does, how do you anticipate the messaging on this one to go, especially given, as Doug said, there's so much else, so much volume on the ballot? Well, I think there's a simple explanation and, and they will start, you know, trotting it out there more, which is that getting sick shouldn't make you homeless. Getting sick shouldn't cost you your livelihood. Um, and so that is a message that is obviously incredibly popular with people on both sides of the aisle. And so they just need to get out there and, and start talking about it a little more. They have also been at this for a couple of cycles. Healthcare Rising is the group that has been, you know, collecting these signatures. So the grassroots community, the advocates, community has known about it. They are paying attention. Now it's just getting it out there to the broader voting population, which they will. And Doug, do you anticipate, as, as Don referenced for the for Terry Goddard's initiative, do you expect a sort of a spirited campaign on both sides of this one as well? Well, I, I agree with <clears throat> excuse me, what Don said earlier. I think that the, uh, the folks that have been fighting this for the last four rounds will continue to fight. I mean, uh, they can't stand down now. But but there there are messages which which many pollsters, including our our own pollster Paul Bentz at our firm, we have tested over and over again. Uh, they're just not winning messages to to the greater electorate. That is Doug Cole. Also with us is Don Penich Thacker with Mark Brody in Phoenix. I'm Steve Goldstein. Don, one thing we don't know about yet should know by this afternoon as to whether Arizonans for free and fair elections makes the ballot. So let's play the hypothetical game. If it makes the ballot, doesn't make the ballot. I mean, how big a difference could this make in the campaign? Going back to Mark's general question about that, 
this has so many possibilities and so many sort of subheadings and topics that are covered. I mean, that could take a really long time for voters to think about and get through. That could be hard. I'm just throwing it out there for supporters and opponents to figure out what's actually in this. Yeah, there's a lot in it. And when they were out there collecting signatures and and knowing that lawsuits would be coming, a question was, would all of those things packed into one initiative even, you know, withstand the courts? And and so far it has certainly on that point. But yeah, there's a lot. There's same-day voter registration. There's restoring the permanent early voter list. So they're going to need to boil it down to what they think is the one or two top messages that voters need to hear about. But again, those are very popular measures. Um, this is an exact example of when the legislature goes after rights that the people want and value, the people can rise up to overcome that. And so they'll just need to pick what they think works the best and simplify it down. Doug, of the three initiatives we've talked about this morning, this one does though seem like the most complicated to figure out whether voters, even as Don is saying, that voters like some of the measures, but to, to sell it in essence. Look, it, this is this is a, this is initiative log rolling in my in my estimation. They went way too far. They're, they're, while, they're, while you can argue uh, certain policy uh, aspects of this, I mean, and it makes 60 changes uh, uh, across the initiative. That's, that's, the, that's an enormous pill to swallow. Uh, this is supposed to be Prop 210. I think that the, of the ones that have been referred to the ballot, I think that this one is in, in, is in the most peril of, of, of not passing because it is so complicated. And when voters don't understand these 60 measures, they tend to vote no or they just don't vote for it. Uh, so um, I think that this is going to be hard for the, for the proponents of this to explain this. I agree with Don. Their best strategy is, is to is to pick the most popular things. But I think that they went overboard on what they were trying to accomplish. I think if they had had not gotten greedy and had had winnowed it down, and um, maybe you know on, we talked about the strict versus substantial compliance issue, and um, maybe the pebble list. But when you start talking about how you uh, pr- present uh, IDs to register to vote, same-day voter registration, I mean, that, uh, that brings a lot of pause to a lot of people. Don, I'm curious what you make of that because, you know, as Doug said, there are a lot of proposed changes in this initiative. Do you think that, assuming, again, that it makes the ballot, would proponents maybe have a better chance if they stuck to the issues, you know, maybe some of those, the most popular ones, uh, and maybe left some of the other ones to another day? Or does that not matter? No, I think it definitely matters because the more that you pack into the initiative, the more openings you give to opposition to attack you. So, you know, free and fair elections might choose to not highlight the, you know, automatic uh, same day voter registration, but opposition sure will because that's one that's on shakier ground. So, you know, you open up a lot more potential for attack. All right. So, Don and Doug, I want to ask both of you, because you've both been been doing this for a little while. Do you what do you think will happen to this? Do you think it just in terms of making the ballot? Because, as Steve said, we should know about this this afternoon in theory. Don, do you think it makes the ballot? I think so. Doug, do you? Well, we'll have to see what the math of the Supreme Court said. I need to see the math that the trial court relied upon. So, again, we're talking about the standard of strict compliance. And if the Supreme Court agrees that that the trial judge in Maricopa County uh, has very clear clean and clear math, then, then it will make the ballot. Yeah, Mark and I did talk about that. I made a sarcastic comment before about talking about showing your work and Donna, you as a professor, the idea that is the Scantron out, is the Blue Book out? Like how, how is the judge supposed to do that? I was just, well, I guess we'll see. 
Yeah. Exactly. Not sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, Doug, let's go to um, some Republican candidates. Sure. Specifically, let's start with Carrie Lake, first uh-huh. of all, who endorsed someone who's who's known as white supremacist, anti-Semite, all those really great things. In Oklahoma, that candidate ended up losing, but she rescinded, in essence, whatever her endorsement was. Others didn't. Um, talk to me about when it comes to these things, these endorsement sort of things for someone running for statewide office. Uh, how dangerous is it for Carrie Lake to to do this sort of thing? In essence, almost act like a Donald Trump. Well, you you took my answer right from me here. Uh, why is <laughs> that's a long why, question? Yeah, so. why is the the potential governor of the state of Arizona, which is no longer a small state, so it's a major player in national politics? Why is she bothering with a state senate race in in Oklahoma? It makes no sense to me. Uh, there's there's no upside at all, zero. She already has that group of people, and as a political consultant. I, I, it just it just boggles my mind. I don't understand why you would get involved. There is no upside, zero. There's all downside, and and she had a major businessman here in in the state of Arizona endorse her, and no one even heard that, uh, even heard that endorsement because this Jaron Jackson uh, controversy came up, and no one's going to remember she rescinded it. Well, part of the reason maybe nobody will remember she rescinded it was because she did it so quietly in, you know, her her spokesperson called a few media outlets and said she had. Don, I'm curious what you what you make of the fact that, you know, her the campaign of the candidate in Oklahoma made a really big deal of the fact that he had won Lake's endorsement, didn't make such a big deal about the fact that she had rescinded it. She didn't make a big deal about the fact that she had rescinded it. Um, I just I, I'm curious what you make of like the whole just the whole situation here. Well, it's all just sloppy. And I think like Doug is saying, I think this speaks to the fact that this is a vanity campaign. So smart political decisions aren't necessarily being made, but it feels good to be in the headlines. It feels good to have another state of people cheering for you or a small district who and that candidate, of course, went on to lose. Um, So there's just a lot of um, decisions being made by the late campaign that I think continue to show that she doesn't actually know how to appeal to the larger swath of voters. She's having too much fun getting applause from her base, from the people who she believes she is beloved by. Doug, how much, if at all, do you expect this kind of issue, maybe not this specific incident, to play in in the Democrats' opposition to her, either from the Hobbs campaign or from outside groups? Look, in order to win a general election in Arizona, again, to remind your listeners, and I know they know this because they're listening to public radio, that it's a, a third, a third, and a third. You know, the Republicans have the first third. The independents and, and party not disclosed a group has the second third. The Democrats have the third third. And you got to get that middle third. And you also have to get moderate Republicans, uh, if you're a Democrat, over. And we just haven't seen a pivot yet by, by the Carrie Lake campaign. Uh, if she wants to be successful, she's going to have to you know, attract those 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 Ducey Seminole voters for 2016 over uh, and others. And in an episode like this playing in a Oklahoma a state Senate race uh, doesn't help that cause. I don't know what they're thinking. Don, another Republican candidate who at least appears to be trying to, to change his tune is Blake Masters on abortion. We've seen scrubbing of websites. Um, so he is a guy who – that was a really interesting race, the U.S. Senate uh, GOP primary – and it was not quite the same sort of thing. We don't know quite as much about Blake Masters as people may think they know about Kerry Lake, for example, having been on TV forever. What do you make of his efforts to to scrub some of the past comments he's made or at least de-emphasize in a way that, oh, you know, do voters not know enough about him? Could he get away with it? Uh, no, like we tell our you know children and our students, the internet is forever, and 
they are not going, you know, the Democratic side and IEs are not going to let people forget what he has said and what he actually stands for. You know, there are screenshots all over and those will be on television. They will stay on television. So it's an effort. There are some people who will tune in and start paying attention to this election you know, when their ballot arrives for the very first time. But by and large, this just makes him look ridiculous. I'm going to be very blunt. The criminalization, this effort to criminalize abortion is toxic uh, for uh, Republican candidates. And there's a reason that he's doing that. He's, he's seeing the same polls that I have seen. It is, it is, it is going to be a, a, unlike any other election cycle because the Dobbs case uh, abortion is good, it is front and center, uh, one of the top top three issues, and and uh, he's he has no choice um, because cr- the he and as we all can see on our Mark Kelly's commercial that he's up right now, and that's not going away because Blake Master said these things. The criminalization of abortion is a loser for Republican candidates that continue to run their campaigns on that issue. Doug, we've used the phrase so many times about Mark Kelly raising presidential levels of money. Um, is Mark Kelly someone that is going to be very hard? I mean, obviously, it, but as someone who's only been an incumbent for a couple of years, is he about the toughest candidate a Blake Masters could go up against in Arizona? Well, it's hard to run against an astronaut. I mean, it's just re- <laughs> every kid, I wanted to be one. I bet Don even wanted to be one. Everybody wants to be an astronaut. It's really, really, really tough to run. And, you know, he's uh, he has a liberal record. He supports Joe Biden. And look, look what we're not talking about. We're not talking about Mark Kelly supported Joe Biden and voting 90 some percent with him, which is what I'd be talking about if I was a Republican. You know, here we are. We're talking about uh, a Senate candidate scrubbing his website and, and like, going, oh, n- nothing to see here, folks. Let's move on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah. So, Don, where, how, like, how do you draw the line between trying to, you know, Doug brought up the word earlier about pivot. You know, you sort of moderate a little bit for the general election versus obviously what Blake Masters is. It sounds like he's really trying to, in some ways, change the positions that he had talked about. But I guess I wonder, like, in terms of trying to move to a more general election, and Doug had mentioned that criminalizing abortion is a losing candidate. Is it in some ways worse to maybe change your position on it as opposed to just going with it and saying, look, this is what I believe, agree with me or not? Well, this is the fatal flaw in politics today where it's extremism. And then how do you move away from that? You it looks fake. It looks false and it doesn't work. And so, you know, if you're going to try to buy into this Trump campaigning kind of mantra of as extreme as possible, then you kind of have to, you know, sit and take it. Well, it, and it's not just the, the Trump side. It's also the, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren side, too. If you run, were running on, on those things yeah, and as Democrat, then you got to pivot back to the center. Mm-hmm. So both sides are guilty of this. It's just, it, it is, it's just where our modern political system is. Doug Cole of High Ground, Don Penitzacker of Agave Strategy. Guys, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's big stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the show at kjzz.org. I'm Steve Goldstein, and thanks for listening.